self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, shallow, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdening with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jeb... Jebus opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in the mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecution and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconum, and at Lystria, which persecution I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the ability that we have to uh, sit in our homes, to hear your word freely, Lord God. Um, during this uncertain time, Lord, we just thank you for the ability that we have that we can still be the church, even though we can't come to our church. Lord, we just ask that uh, through technology, through um, advancements, Lord, that uh, we can still share the word with each other, Lord God. We just ask that you continue to give us the boldness that you ask from us, Lord God, to reach out to our brothers and sisters who may not know you, Lord God, especially during this time of need, Lord. We just pray that you give us the words to speak, Lord. Give us a heart of love, Lord, and we just uh, ask you to continue to anoint Pastor Jackie this morning as he uh, preaches your word, Lord. We just ask that you open our ears, open our hearts, and give us an alert mind so that we will be changed by this message today, Lord God. So we just thank you for all that you do, Lord, all that you're doing, and we just ask that you continue to watch over and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. As we take a look at all that the Lord has for us this morning, uh, I just want to encourage you that uh, as we look here at um, 2 Timothy, we're reminded that Paul is in Mamertine prison. He's reaching out to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's giving him his last will and testament. He wants to say, here's the word that I want to encourage you in. Here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to get you to grab a hold of and hold on to. And so as we take a look at our text this morning, there's some things that we need to know too. 
And I love the providence of God. We see the providence of God working as it's just unbelievable. How many things before we ever got to where we are today, God was already moving. God was already preparing. God was already taking care of his church. You know, we, we were able to get ourselves into a position, a, a financial position through the leadership of the board of elders that, uh, that we can, we can hopefully push through the storm. Uh, we should be able to. We have no payment on the building. Uh, we've got our missionaries that we're still able to take care of and uh, the few people that we employ that uh, so far God has provided. The providence of God is moving. Paul, as he's reaching out to Timothy, he's telling him in this section of Scripture, the future is under God's control. God, God knows what he's doing, and his providence is, is always working. But even if we understand that the future is in God's control, he also tells Timothy that a form of godliness is without power. So we have the future in God's control, but, but a form of godliness is a powerless existence, which leads to the way of folly. The book of Proverbs tells us the way of folly, the path of the fool, leads to death and destruction. And we'll see those things as we take a look at the scripture. What we need to hold on to is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God is our strength. That's our Outline this morning as we look at the section. The future is under God's control. A form of godliness is without power. Do not take the path of the way of folly, but trust in the faithfulness of God. Let's take a look. He says in verse 1, But understand this. Know this. This is what God is saying. Know this. In the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Is that a great way to describe today? The Lord is saying, accept this, understand this, know this. When God proclaims in the time of Paul that in the last days there will be perilous times, there are several things that we want to understand. First off, that God knows the future, that God is in the future, that God is moving and working in his providence and in his power, and we can trust in him. We want to understand the character of that day. What is the character of that day? It's the last days. We're so quick to think that the days we are in is the last days, and I would say they are, indeed. But biblically, when we talk about the last days, the last days are proclaimed in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches the message on Pentecost. And the people come out and they see these men with tongues of fire proclaiming the the goodness of God and everyone hearing them in their own language and they're looking at this miracle that's going on and they're supposing that the men are drunk. You remember? And they look to Peter and they say, well, are these men drunk? And Peter says, no, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. Verse 16 of Acts chapter 2. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants, female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Peter 
declares, we entered into the last days, the day of Pentecost. He says, these last days, the Spirit of God would be poured out on his church. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul writing, says, now these things happened to them as an example. All the Old Testament saints, these things that they experienced happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. The last days. First John chapter 2 verse 18 says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Listen, the last days marks the time frame from the resurrection of Christ and his ascension to his return. That period of time is called the last days. So Jesus is letting the the church know, through Paul, he's telling the church, look, in the last days, there will be perilous times. We are going to enter into times of struggle. Evil is going to come and will continue until Christ returns. At the return of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, all wickedness will be utterly destroyed. There will be a day for the end of all evil, all wickedness. There will be a day when the perilous times will pass. And we live in the hope of that day. In the hope of seeing God come. Now listen, he tells us, first off, I want you to know, the future is, is coming and there are things in the future that look bleak. There are perilous times, there are perilous days. But the second thing that he wants us to understand about the future is that there will be a form of godliness. There will be people who look like they're all for the Lord, who are in support of him. They're fair weather fans. You know, the guys that jump up on the bandwagon when the team is headed to the Super Bowl. Or the World Series. Or the finals. They're the ones who come alongside as though they were true blue. They stand in a form. But here we want to beware in this last day's form of godliness. Listen, he says in verse 2, For people will be... Again, God telling us the attitudes of people in the future, these people who have a form of godliness, they will be lovers of self. Now, the idea is, we have this thing in the church, this, this I don't know what it is, maybe it's an attitude of false humility, or I'm not allowed to... Look, the Bible would would reject... Being a lover of self, and it would be reject being a hater of self. But we should think soberly of ourselves. Just, just stay in reality. Stay in reality. Know yourself. 
but a lover of self, someone self-focused. That's not God-focused. We put man in the central. There's a, there's a theological term for it. It's called anthropocentric, that man is the center of the universe, when in reality we ought to be theocentric. God is the center of the universe. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. What is going to save mankind? Is it going to be his own ingenuity? A lover of self. Is it going to be his bank account? The lover of money. He will be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than, rather than lovers of God. Now when we see this list, as we look at this list and we see this attitude of a form of godliness in the last days, these are all things we don't want to, to see evidenced in our life. Paul wrote a similar list in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, he says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now here he's talking about unbelievers. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When we see these lists as Paul lays them out for us, there's this attitude. We understand that, that you cannot fake faith in Christ without your life giving evidence to your faith in Christ. Without seeing the change. Rather, what you'll see in a form of godliness is misplaced affections. They're not focused in the right areas. We're lovers of self and money and pleasure and, and not giving proper Affection. We don't have, the Bible describes it as being heartless. They will have a friendship with evil. They'll hate good, but they'll have a friendship with evil. Not only do we see these misplaced affections, but we also see selfish attitudes. Selfish attitudes in the life of, of a form of godliness, which, which mirrors, in many ways, unbelievers. They'll be boasters. People who boast are proud, swollen with conceit, the Bible said. Abusive, the Bible calls that blasphemers. Blasphemers, slanderers, they're abusive. Disobedient to parents. And when we come to this, I, I, I almost trip. Disobedient to parents. Is this small? It seems like such a little thing. But it's a failure to learn and understand positions of authority in life. 
we can't learn to stand in authority when we're children looking at the authority of our parents, then we will struggle with a pro- having a problem with authority our entire lives, which leads to many of these things that we're talking about. The selfish attitude will also be unthankful, unholy, disregard for anything holy, headstrong, haughty. We have uh, wicked actions. We are unforgiving and slanderers and traitors. Without self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. The Scripture would declare to us the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is expressed how? In Galatians 5.22, it's expressed in self-control. But these are without self-control. They're brutal, acting like wild animals. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 3.5. Having an appearance of godliness, a form of godliness, but denying its power. Denying the power of God. What is the power of God? As we come into Resurrection Sunday, I I hope that we can kind of tap down into the idea that the power of God is the power of the resurrection. The power of God is to be brought forth in the new life. The power of God is what we celebrate when we watch a baptism and we see someone who goes below the water dying to their old life and is raised in new life. Denying the power of God is denying the power of the resurrection. Denying the power of a changed life. Denying the power of God to work in your life and take you from what we were. Ephesians chapter 2 would say that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive. That's the power of God. We can walk in the form of godliness, but the form of godliness has no power. We can wear the right clothes. We can sing the right songs. We can go to the right places. We can follow the list of do's and don'ts. But a form of godliness denies the power that God resurrects your life. That God reaches down into your life and changes you from the inside out. And in the last days, the perilous times that God speaks of as he speaks of the future that he knows and therefore controls. He says there will be a form of godliness with no power. No power because God isn't working that resurrection power in a life that's surrendered to him. Paul would write a similar thing to Titus. In Titus chapter 1 verse 16, he says, They profess to know God, a form of godliness. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for every good work. We don't want to have a form of godliness. We want to have true godliness, which is expressed in the life of a believer through the power of Jesus Christ and the giving of his Holy Spirit. God makes us new. The Lord, he sees and knows the future. 
And he could very well proclaim this day, the day that we see before us today. Perilous times, difficulties and struggles, and a form of godliness. A form of godliness. This ought not be our focus. In verse 6, for among them there are those who creep into households. What's he warning us of? This form of godliness. This form of godliness of full of creepers. People who creep into houses and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. They capture the weak. Uh, They're not seeing changed lives. They're capturing people by their philosophy or their teaching or their ideas or their system. And people want to follow this system, but a system doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. He is the power of God to make us so much more than what we are. Here's the consequence of these in this form of godliness, listen, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Look, learning's not a bad thing. We can learn a lot. I think I will spend my whole life in a pursuit of learning, but also a pursuit of understanding. The focus being the truth. Who's the truth? Scripture would declare to us that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. I'm reminded, as Pilate stands before Jesus and he's questioning him and says, Don't you know that I could set you free? Jesus says, Well, you have no power except what's been given to you. And they have a discussion, Pilate and Jesus, on truth. You remember? And Pilate says, Ked est veritas. And he walked away. What is truth? Always learning. Never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Even if the truth is standing right in front of you form of godliness but denying the power trying to fulfill some plan some system but not bowing the knee before our great god and king who holds the future in his hand who knew the days we're walking in we're coming and putting our faith and our trust in him and allowing him to equip us for the day to give us the things that we need for the struggles that come before us the next thing that occurs we see the lord proclaiming to us the future the last days what it would look like the perilous times maybe that we even walk in today a form of godliness that doesn't have power which is leading people to the way of folly well look what he says in verse 8 Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. 
He gives us a couple of examples, an illustration. Now, Jewish tradition tells us these two guys, these are Pharaoh's magicians. You remember them? When Moses came before Pharaoh and and Pharaoh wanted to know, is this really the power of God working? He would turn to his magicians and see if they, his sorcerers, his wise men, see if they could do whatever Moses did. It's interesting when we look at this because we know, we can recognize they never had power over the things Moses did. All they could do was take a situation that existed and proclaim its continuance. Well, you remember Moses, he came and he he turned the water to blood, right? The water of the Nile turns to blood. The people have blood to drink. And what fresh water they could bring together and find, the magicians, the sorcerers in Pharaoh's court, all they could do was turn it to blood. If they had power over what Moses did, they would have turned the blood back to water. He says, here's the illustration. These guys who opposed Moses, who came along beside Moses, and they they never had the power that Moses had. They could take a bad situation and make it worse. That's the power of the enemy. That's the power of Satan. But they could never bring resurrection power. They could never bring a changed life. All they could bring was the mirror copy of what man was before. People ask me today, Jackie, why does it seem like the church is so powerless? Perhaps because there is within the true body of Christ a form of godliness that denies the power. The example, here are these two guys who oppose the truth, but are never able to overcome it. Never able to overcome. Why? Why can't they overcome? Because they have corrupt minds. Their minds are corrupt. Listen, men who oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind. Back in Romans, Paul talked about a corrupted mind. You remember in Romans 1, 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A corrupted mind. Now we also see the the section of scripture that talks about renewing our mind, right? Renewing our mind. How do we renew our mind? We renew our mind when we are in submission to the Lord. When we bow the knee to our great God and King. When we've turned over our will for His will. When we repent and believe. And God reaches in to our life, to the corruptness of our mind, and he changes us, the power of the resurrection, in the life of the man coming to faith in Christ. But if they continue to walk this way with a corrupted mind, disqualified regarding the faith, what's, what happens? Look at verse 9. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. As was that of those two men. 
What was the folly of those two men? Well, they go for a while, right, with Moses. They go along and they're able to to mirror whatever Moses does. And then suddenly they make a proclamation. You can read about it in Exodus. They make, they make a proclamation. The proclamation is, this is the finger of God. We can't do that. We, we can oppose the truth. But we can't produce the truth. We can't accomplish what he's doing. We can't undo anything that Moses has done. This is the finger of God. Their path, their way did not lead to life. Where did it lead? This rebellion of Pharaoh against all the things that God was doing in his life. Where did it lead? It led to the final. It led to that final plague. You remember the death of the firstborn. Where does the path of folly lead? The path of folly leads to death. The book of Proverbs declares, two paths man can walk, the path of wisdom or the path of the fool. The path of wisdom leads to life, the path of the fool leads to death. Jesus, as the embodiment of wisdom, declares to us, come, follow me. That's the path of life. A form of godliness, denying the power, the resurrection, to change man, to really save man, where does that path lead? It's the path of folly. It will be plain to all. It ends in destruction. It ends with the the loss of life. The path of the fool. We don't want to take the path of the fool. Rather, we want to hope in the faithfulness of the Lord. Listen to verse 10. You, now he's back to Timothy. You, however, in distinction to these, you, however, in distinction to these, as as God is through Paul laying out for us this view of the future, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And in those last days, there will be a form of godliness that doesn't have true power. It's not real. It's make-believe. And because it's not real, these never change. They never experience the power of God moving through their lives. And so they find themselves on the path of folly. But you, Timothy... In distinction to those, you, however, have done what? Have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. The difference then between the form of godliness and those who are walking in godliness is this idea of following the teaching, following the word of God. And that that power of God of the resurrection life leads to a change in conduct. Paul, who was a murderer, became one who led people to salvation. His path was the path of death, right? The way of folly. But God met him and changed him and transformed him by the renewing of his mind. Not the corruption of his mind by the renewing of his mind, and brought him to a place as he is in obedience to God's word, that his conduct changed. His focus in life, listen, his aim in life, he's in a pit in the ground, in a prison. 
But he's not thinking about how much his life sucks there in this pit in prison. He's thinking about how can I encourage Timothy one more time before I die. That's the attitude of a resurrection life. The attitude of a resurrection life is that life that, like like Christ, as he turns his face like Flint to Jerusalem, knowing the cross is there. He's not fooled by Palm Sunday and the proclamation of the people. He knows in four days that proclamation is going to turn to crucify him, crucify him. He knows he's going for that purpose. That's the power of God. Paul said, you follow my aim in life, my focus. What was Paul's focus? He said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Which is greater, I cannot tell. He's, he'd love to go be with Jesus. In fact, his day is on the horizon as he writes this letter. But he knows his aim in life. My aim in life for me to live is Christ. For me to live is to be focused on the Lord. To follow his faith. Where is his trust? Where is Paul's trust? Where is that, not the form of godliness, but real godliness? Where is your faith? When we looked before, it was the lovers of self, right? Lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Where is your faith? Where are you putting your weight? In what do you trust? Paul's trust was in the Lord. Sitting in a pit... In a prison with one little stream that runs through that provides water for the prisoners. Dark, dank, cold. He's no longer chained to anybody. They don't have to chain him. There's no way out. They drop a rope down, put you in. They drop a rope down, take you out, off with your head. But he's not in a place of self-pity. Why? Because his faith is in God. He trusts the Lord. When the Lord called Paul, he said, I must show him all the things he needs suffer for my name's sake. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage him. There was a time when Paul was very low and his life was struggling and he was trying to, to go out on his missionary journeys and he's trying to do all these things, but he's feeling the resistance of the enemy and the Lord came to him and encouraged him. Keep going, Paul. This is not the end. Keep striving From victory to victory, know in whom you have believed and be persuaded, Paul. I am able to keep you. So Paul would proclaim the very next phrase, my patience. You ever had to be patient in your walk with the Lord? I would love for this to occur. Wake up in the morning and there's a proclamation that this season of testing and trial and pestilence is over. But the Lord says we have need of endurance. Endure. Be patient. Be patient. 
What is our example of patience? What is our example of long-suffering? How about the long-suffering of God with us? Who waited for that proclamation of faith from our lips. He's not only following his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience. My love. What was it that Paul loved? Paul loved God. Paul loved God's word. Paul loved God's people. That's what the word proclaims. His love of God, his love for God's word, and his love for all the churches. See, true godliness follows this example. My steadfastness, my faithfulness, what makes us steadfast? Look, it's not self, it's not Paul proclaiming his ability to accomplish these things. These are evidence that God has changed him. And now he is steadfast. Now, we don't stop there because he goes on in verse 11. These are the examples. What are we following? We're following, he says. You follow my teaching, conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, my persecutions. Paul tells Timothy, look, you're going to follow my persecutions. You're going to have struggles in life. There are going to be these difficulties, and you need to understand, you need to know that they're coming, but you remember my steadfastness, my patience. For we all have needs of endurance. My persecution and sufferings. There are times of suffering in the life of a believer. There are many believers right now suffering. There are believers who have been touched by COVID-19. There have been believers who have perished and gone on to their eternal home in glory. Following Jesus is not a proclamation that those things will never touch us. But they are a proclamation that those things have no power over us. Just like Janus and Jambres, COVID-19 cannot take away what Christ has given you. Your path will end in life, not death. For we are transformed in Christ. We follow the path of wisdom, not the way of the fool. Remember my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. Now Paul's going to mention specific things. These things happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra. What was it that happened there? You remember there was a young man from Lystra who saw two itinerant preachers come into town, be proclaimed as gods one moment, and then stoned and left for dead the next. Does that not in some way mirror the picture of Palm Sunday? Proclaimed one day, crucified the next. Here, this young man saw these itinerant preachers come into his town proclaiming this truth about God Almighty being uh, lauded at one moment, 
and then destroyed in the next. Left in a heap outside of town under a pile of stones. Only to get up again and walk back into town. Paul and Barnabas. And as they come back into town, it is then perhaps that they met a young man named Timothy. He says to Timothy, man, you know this. Timothy, you, you understand that there are sufferings and there are persecutions. But here's the hope. Here's the line of hope that we need to cling to. Which persecutions I endured. How does he endure? Because God makes us able to endure. We all sit back and we say, how could so-and-so or such-and-such go through this horrific thing in their life? I have no idea how they were able to do it. Because God makes us able. You don't need that ticket until you find yourself in that place. God gives us what we need. At the moment in which we need it. So he endured his persecutions. Listen, yet from all, from them all, the Lord rescued me. From them all, don't you understand the illustration again of Janice and Jambres? That they had power to, <clears throat> to see, to reflect the truth, but they couldn't change it. They couldn't change what Moses did. Neither can persecutions change what God has done in your life. Neither can suffering change what God has done in your life. If you have, if you have the Lord, if He is yours, you can have a form of godliness that denies the power. But in reality, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing this life brings can change what God has done in you. The path you're on ends in life no matter what no matter whether we get sick and perish on this earth the path you're on ends in life and paul wants timothy to understand this through all of these the lord rescued me paul's in the pit perhaps even at the time timothy is reading this letter he's already lost his head And people would say, how is it that the Lord delivered him? You weren't delivered, you died. But the word of God would proclaim, no, he did not die. He passed to life. Do you remember what Paul wrote? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death, where is your sting? All death is, is a doorway to the presence of God. That's why Paul Paul could proclaim for me to live as Christ and die is gain. Why is it gain? Because I gain Christ. I'm with him. And he is the treasure. His focus, his aim in life. Yet the Lord, he has delivered me from them all. He provides encouragement. This is what it looks like. Here's the form of godliness. We, we read that list. We don't need to go over that list again. Those are things we turn from, right? We turn from those things when we turn to Christ because Christ isn't those things. If my focus is on those things, I'm not 
focused on Christ. If I'm focused on Christ, all those things fall away. My goal is not to try not to do those things. My goal is to put my eyes on Christ. To put my hope in Christ. To put my trust in Christ. To follow Him. Listen in verse 12. He goes on and says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Probably not one of the promises you have on your fridge. It's probably not what we are holding on to and saying, Oh my gosh, look at this. All who desire to live godly. Not a form of godliness. All who desire to follow this example that Paul is saying Timothy did. This example of a power in the life of a believer who has experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Someone who's been saved For though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive. He transforms us. Though we were once murderers, now we are those who proclaim life. Though we were on the path of death, now we find ourselves walking the path that leads to life. And everyone who wants to walk that path will face persecution. There's not a time where Jesus said... Come and follow me. This is the path of rosiness. If you follow me, you'll never have disease. Does Jesus deliver us from disease? For sure. Is he the healer? Absolutely. Did he ever cleanse a leper? Yes. Did he cleanse all lepers? Did he ever give sight to the blind? Yes. Did he give all blind sight? Did he ever open the ears of the deaf? Yes. Did he give all deaf hearing? There will be a day where all blind will see, all deaf will hear, all lame will walk, all lepers will be cleansed. There will be a day when all of that occurs, and that is the day we lift our eyes and look for. That is the day at the end of the last days, at the return of our God and King. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then this little bit of extra boost while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look, everything we watch on YouTube is not good. Every preacher is not preaching the path of life. Everyone is not following the way of truth just because they proclaim themselves to be a believer. There is a form of godliness in the last, uh, there is a form of godliness in the last days. That we're to turn from. There's the reality of godliness that we're to turn toward. Paul says evil men, they'll get worse and worse. The lies will get better and better. For what purpose? To deceive people. To lead people astray. How do we guard ourselves from being led astray? How do we keep ourselves from walking on this path that 
that uh, is not the path that we want. Paul is proclaiming, he's laying out for us this truth. He wants us to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the breadth, the width, and depth of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants us to recognize all of these things. But as he comes to this section and he lays out for us that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, that's not the end. That's where we're going to stop, but that's not the end. Yeah, there's going to be this, this thing where the world is continuing this progression in rebellion against God. And as long as we're walking a path of rebellion against God, man is going to descend into the depths of depravity. And that, that is going to continue and continue. Well, how do we protect ourselves? How do we not find ourselves also circling the drain? How do we watch that? Listen, that's just a little preview of things to come, probably in two weeks. But as for you, Timothy, verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. And firmly believe. The word of God. The final arbiter. That we come to. In honesty and truth. To be led and directed. To hold fast. To what is true. To turn from what is false. He says. To Timothy hold fast. Listen this is where this is going. Hold fast on this. For all scripture. Is given. By inspiration of God. This is our anchor. There's a lot of things that sound good and make us feel good, but they may not be good for us. We hold fast to the anchor, which is the word of God. We want to hold fast to what God is showing us and what God has delivered us in his word. We want to understand in these days, God is in control of the future. There will be a day. He's not surprised. He's not wringing his hands. He's not worried. He has given us what we need in these last days. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, when you have a moment, read them. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that everything that God has to say has been summed up in Jesus Christ. He's given us everything he has to give us. Everything we need, we have in Christ Jesus. The future's under his control, but there's a warning. There's a form of godliness that we need to turn from that follows the path of folly, which leads to death. We turn from that, rather, and we hold on to the faithfulness of God, which is our strength. We follow Jesus Christ. And the things that he has given us. We put our hope and trust in the faithfulness of God. We proclaim to the world in the midst of tragedy. In the midst of pain. In the midst of suffering. We have patience and endurance to endure the things that we go through. And we proclaim, I trust you God. Just like Paul did from his pit. We do from our patio. Just like Paul did 
in his captivity. We do from our quarantine. We proclaim our trust in him. For our God will deliver us. Absolutely. The warning. Don't get caught in a deception of a form of godliness. But in the truth. Allow Jesus Christ to change your life. So the things that once marked us. Mark us no longer. The things that once described us, describe us no longer. What describes us now is the power of God to the resurrection. And next week, we will celebrate that power on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we turn our eyes toward you. Lord, we pray that you would just bless your word. As it goes forth, God, may you strike from the mind and remembrance the foolish things that were spoken from this pulpit, but the powerful things of God. May they find soil. May they grow. May they lead to the fruitfulness of faith. God, I pray if there's anybody out there watching or a part of this that doesn't know you, who is saying, oh, I've been in a form of godliness, may they repent and believe. Turn from and turn toward. Bow your knee before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And cry out to him, have mercy on me as sinner. And even as Jesus proclaimed, that one will leave justified. God, I pray that you would breathe the power of the changed life, the resurrection power of God into the life of your church. That she, no matter how the wind blows, no matter how the storm comes, would stand in the face of the wind and proclaim at the top of her lungs, I trust you, God. You are my Savior. You are my King. I am yours. God, be glorified. As we proclaim this truth, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.